Um, for this week, let's read this story of Naaman very quickly. Uh, Naaman, last week, if you were with us, I'm going to read the exact same story. Naaman was this guy who uh, had leprosy, but he was a great man. He was a valiant warrior. He was a mighty man of God in terms of like his, his ability um, to fight. And the king of, like, loved him. But he had this problem. He had leprosy. So let's read this story really quickly about our friend Naaman. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him the girl from Israel had said, By all means, the king of Aram replied, um, he says, Go, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now I just want to stop, just like I did last week. I just want to point out the fact that the level of responsibility that was just placed on the king of Israel's shoulders is massive. To give you an idea of how much money we're talking about, just in silver and gold, in today's day and age, if you went on and you did the equation for shekels and talents and what that equates to in today's dollars and cents, this guy Naaman, mighty warrior, valiant, you know, honorable warrior, shows up with a little over $5.1 million. Now, to give you an idea, this guy has enough money that the 5.1 million wasn't a sacrifice. Think about this. He wasn't giving his entire life savings away. He was like, I have this little bit little offering for you, 5.1 million dollars. And he shows up with a letter from the king to the king of Israel and says, Heal, heal my man, Naaman. And there's a massive level of responsibility that the king feels. So the king of Israel responds, I think how I would respond. And he says that he tore his robe and he said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send, summon me to be cured of his leprosy? So see how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. He's, starting, he's trying to start a fight. Naaman was a fighter. He was a warrior. So he's like, he's, he's, starting, he's trying to start a fight with me. He knows I can't do this. When Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes. He sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have, have the man come to me. and He will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman, he went with his horses and chariots and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. So he went with his entourage. That's where I talked about like, you know, Naaman has an entourage, $5.1 million, shows up with a letter from the king to the king of Israel and he's got an entourage. If you've got an entourage, you've made it. I didn't have one, so I just thought my wife and I would like birth an entourage. So just... hmm. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, your flesh will be restored, you'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord, and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of, his leprosy, cure me of leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? Very sarcastically, he says this. 
So he turned and he went off in rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. So here we have this guy, Naaman. And um, one of the biggest things that, that I think, when I, when I picture Naaman's life, this guy, uh, he's got a lot of money. He's got an entourage. He is a valiant warrior. This guy, everyone knows who he is. He can go straight to the king. He can make a request to the king. The king will write a letter for him personally. Think about who this guy is. One of the things that I know about Naaman just by reading this story is that this guy got offended rather quickly. He got offended rather easily. And one of the first things that you might look at in your life, that I might look at in my life as a sign that we're dealing with offense, there's something in us that maybe we're, we're offended, is um, entitlement. Number one, entitlement. I think, this is me, everything I've read, different, different theologians kind of say the same thing. I think Naaman dealt with an entitlement issue. He felt like he deserved to be healed. You might be dealing with entitlement if you make statements like, I deserve this. You owe me this. Uh, you might be dealing with entitlement if you say, this is not fair. And we need everything to be fair. This is entitlement. And what happens is, is in Naaman's life, as he's dealing with this, he begins to say, like, I, I deserve this ultimately led to his, his anger and him, how he dealt with the situation was he felt like he deserved to be handled differently. In Romans 5, 6, it says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. What I've learned in life, and this is just my own life, is I've partnered with offense in my own life and I've acted in an offended manner and I become entitled and I start wielding this entitlement and I make statements like, I deserve this, I have to be careful because truly what I do deserve, Jesus Christ has already paid for. And entitlement partnered with offense always wants to push its own agenda. And if I start pushing the agenda in my heart of, of you owe me this, and I deserve this, that I have to be very careful because I just might get what I actually deserve. How many times in your life, I know I've done this, well, I'll push an issue. I'll push an agenda. I deserve this. I get that thing that I've been pushing, and it's not, it, it is not at all what I thought it was going to be. I'm like, this didn't work out as good as I thought. And then you, you quickly want to give it back. You know, I was talking to somebody, they bought a car. I deserve this. I, I deserve to have a nicer car. They have a car, but they, and then they realize, like, I don't deserve the car payment. <laughs> so they went back to the car dealership and they were like, take the car back. And they were like, no, you bought the car. And they're like, you deserved it, remember? 
Be careful because sometimes when you walk into the things that you think you deserve, you're going to end up paying more than you wanted to pay. And you may stay longer than you wanted to stay. Number two. Number two sign, frustration. Frustration. It says that Naaman writes this letter, or the king writes this letter, gives it to Naaman, he takes it to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel tears his robes and he's like, what are you kidding me? Can I, can I do these things? You must be trying to pick a fight with me. What was happening right here is that Naaman was placing an unrealistic expectation on the king of Israel's shoulders. Have you in your life ever had someone place a completely absurd, unrealistic expectation on you? You know, like everyone else is allowed to make mistakes and they have grace in their own lives for themselves to like the 10th times 10 infinity degree. But when you make a mistake, there's an unrealistic expectation that you are going to like speak to yourself, figure out what the issue is, reconcile this thing and walk in perfection. Isn't this how we operate? We have more grace and forgiveness for ourselves. We get over our own offenses quicker. And we place these unrealistic expectations on people. And I'm going to define frustration for you because frustration to me is one of the key things we deal with relationally, whether it's with God vertically or horizontally, whether it's with the people around us, whether it's with our mates, whether it's with our coworkers, whether it's with, you know, a parent. Frustration is nothing more than unmet expectations. Frustration is nothing more than unmet expectations. And expectations fall into three categories. Spoken, I've told you what the expectation is, and you don't do it, and that frustrates me. I'm offended. Okay? Unspoken expectations, these are wild and fun, especially if you're married. <laughs> Unspoken expectations means you didn't tell me that you expected me to get up and do that, but you hinted the night before and I was supposed to like somehow through some mystical message, figure out, wife, what it was that you wanted. But I told you. <laughs> I'm a guy. This is what I need. I want you to get up in the morning and do X. Right? That's a spoken, unmet expectation right so we have unspoken and then we have unrealistic then we just have ones that are just crazy like i will never be your superman i will never be your super let me tell you something right now if you're looking for the church with the pastor who's going to show up to every single thing who's going to be able to pray for every single person who's going to give every single ounce of their every waking day to you, to this building, to this body, I am not the guy. Whoa, that shocks some of you. Because you have an unrealistic expectation of who I am. Let, 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 me, let me say it this way. If you choose to bury a human under that unrealistic expectation, you will put a pastor in a grave who will die underneath that unrealistic expectation. My job 
as prefaced in the New Testament, is to teach, train, and equip you to be the ministers. Okay? But don't, but doesn't this happen? People get offended. They're like, I'm so frustrated with the movement church. Why are you frustrated? Because the pastor didn't, you know, and I'm like, dude, I, I got a wife. I got seven kids. Stop right there. I don't need to say another word. If you don't get it right there, you better find a single dude who's pastor in a church. Have you ever, have any of you guys ever been frustrated? Okay. We can laugh about it, okay? Number three, control. Oh, we love this one. Control. Naaman's an interesting guy. This guy says he went away angry and he thought, and he says, and he says, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over a spot and cure me of leprosy. And he starts talking about, these rivers are better than this river. And he's like, what, what's he doing? Naaman's, now he's at the point where he's like, I'm, I'm kind of entitled, I'm frustrated, now I'm going to control the situation. Have, have, I know in my life sometimes when I'm dealing, if I'm offended, I'm like, fine, I'll deal with it. Right? Get out of the seat, I'll drive. I knew, wait, I knew I could drive better than you in the first place. I was just trying to be nice. I'll drive. I got it. I'll take control of the situation. Because everyone else, because everyone's stupid, the smart one needs to drive the car. Hey, dude, if you're driving the stupid bus, you're the chief stupid. Can I, can I just be blunt? Is it okay? Like these sort of sinful thoughts and ideas in my head, that, that, that maybe you don't deal with these things in your heart and head, but this is what I'm faced with, Right? And I'm like, I'm going to control, I'll just control the situation. Because if I can control the situation, I won't be offended because people can't offend me because I'll control it. <laughs> so Naaman is like, I'm going to be healed and I'm going to place demands on you on how it's going to happen. You know, it should happen like that. He surely should have done If he would have come out and, you know, and then these rivers, pff, these rivers aren't even as good. My river's better. San Luis Bay River in Oceanside, pff, healing water. So we begin, we begin policing other people's behavior, don't we? This is what we do. And this is what we do in church. Well, did you, oh my gosh. Did you see so-and-so? Did you see the car they're driving? Did you, they were eating meat. And they posted it on Facebook. Doesn't everyone know? This is Southern California. Everyone eats weeds and grass. <laughs> In a really weird way, we begin policing other people's behavior. Why? We want to control them. What we want to do is we want to be the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but at best, we're going to be the condemnation of man. This is important. I'm offended. I'm going to control, I'm going to control the situation. I'm going to control you. What am I trying to control? I'm, I'm trying to control your actions and your outcome to best suit me. 
By the way, I only really want to get the things I deserve to benefit me. So I'm going to control the situation so that I get the benefits that benefit me. And in doing so, I'm not changing. Now, now I'm modifying people's behavior to what? Suit me. That is a massive issue. Because when I read this book right here, 66 books broken up into two parts, old and new, this is what this book tells me. It says it's, it's the kindness of a loving God that leads to repentance, not the voice of an arrogant man or woman. And when I try to control you and control the situation, that's why I, I can't sit with you and say, never do this. Why? Because I want the, I want the Holy Spirit's voice in you. I want you to have the conviction and hear the, the heart of a father to say, I'm leading you, child, through my kindness and through my gentleness to a place where there's a, con a healthy conviction in your heart that maybe that isn't wise for you to do. But when I try to, it's condemnation. So it's guilt and shame. If you're making people feel guilty or shameful, if you are being made to feel guilty, or, that's, con that's, I want the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me this morning? Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good. I, now I'm going to back up. We know that in what things? Oh, come on. Because that was like half of you, but I need all of you to say with me. That we know that in? Is that, is that like 50% of the things that are good, but we throw out all the bad stuff? No, it's all things. That means that God's working in our bad stuff, in the stuff that's like, meh, and the stuff that's like, woohoo, I want to tell everybody, right? He's working in it all. And who is that that's doing the work in all things? Oh, really? Because I had thought that when I woke up this morning, I was going to control the situation that in all things that Pat was going to work those things, the scripture says, for the good of those who love me. When I try to control things, it's like I need someone to knock on my front door. You know what I'm saying? And go, it is in all things that God, not you, bro. Because you, you're why we have bad days. God is the one who can redeem all of those days. We oftentimes in that control, what we do is we say, Naaman was basically saying this. This is how you need to love me in order for me to feel loved. So when, we, when we're offended and we try to control things, we begin telling people, prescribing the exact with demands how they have to love us so that we feel loved. And so we end up running around making statements. We get mad like Naaman. And we make statements like, you know, if he would have just got up this morning and taken out the trash. You know when you said that, you know, like my wife and I, we'll get into discussions sometimes and I'm going to totally throw myself under the bus. We're talking the other day on the phone. She's got her mom in the car. She's got some young kids in the car. She's trying to get some other kids from school. There's traffic. It's right in the middle of that day. She's trying to get on the 78 freeway 
where Twin Oaks is by Cal State because we live over by there. And like, oh, no, yep, you said, oh, no. Like, you see, she knows. She's trying to get the phone, right? And I'm like trying to text. I'm like, hey, she thinks I'm going to, I'm like, I'm going to go get the girls. She doesn't know that I was going to go get the girls. So she gets in the car, puts a screaming baby in the car. So she's already like a little, blood pressure's a little bit high. And I'm like, hey, what are you doing? She's like, I'm going to get the girls. But the strap, and I'm like, I call her on the phone. So I'm like trying to talk to her on the phone. While I'm trying to talk to her on the phone, she's like, I got to get off the phone. But she doesn't say I get off the phone. She's just like, okay, bye. Boom, hangs up the phone, right? So I'm like, I call her back. She doesn't, she doesn't pick up the phone. So I was like, call, voicemail, end, call, voicemail, end, call, voicemail, end, call. You know how many times I called her? How many times did I call you? 40 times. I was like, it's totally reasonable. I'm like, you hung the phone up on me. And I wasn't done. I got something to say now. And I'm like, so what do I do? I'm offended. I'm frustrated. I feel entitled. I don't deserve this. And now I'm going to control the situation. She's like, uh, I'm trying to drive. The baby's screaming. And the doctor is calling me. That's why I hung up the phone. But no, no, no. I, you're not, that's not, I don't feel loved. You have to love me this way. She's like, you're, you're a fool. <laughs> you're frustrated because that's an unrealistic expectation, right? But doesn't this happen? So we put parameters around people. So we like, so here, here at the movement, we always say like, you're loved and you belong. Listen, we're humans. We're going to love you the best we can with all of our frailty and our failures. Can I tell you something right now? You're loved and you belong. I should say, I, we should make this part of it. You're loved and you belong, and we will fail you, so please don't freak out. <laughs> How many times in relationships, man, that we're just like, you know, um, I wanted foam on the top of that latte every single morning. And I'm being really absurd, but this is what we do in relationships. We start determining, Naaman's like, this is exactly how you should have loved me, and I don't like your response. So now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get mad. I'm two years old now. So what's he do? He creates separation. The next one, separation is a sign that you might be partnering with offense. So, so he turned and went off in a rage. We're going to talk about his rage in a second, but we're going to focus on the fact that he went off. He went off. He, he separated himself. Now, I just want to say very clearly I am not talking about that if you're in the middle of an argument with somebody or you're dealing with a situation where your blood pressure goes up and you're like, I need to get some separation to allow, there's a part of your brain called the amygdala and you need that amygdala chemically, you need those chemicals to stop firing on that amygdala. The amygdala is the part that's like fight or flight, right? That you make a decision in your brain. Am I gonna, am I gonna punch the person in the throat or am I gonna run? And this is built into, like, this is like native in us. Are we going to fight the bear or are we going to run from the bear? Right? And some of you, by, just so you know, some of, any one of us in our humanity are wired more or less than one or the other. And you could do tests to see how people respond to this. 
I will tell you that women, by and large, when their amygdala, it's called an amygdala hijack, when their amygdala gets hijacked chemically, it takes longer for that amygdala to kind of purge itself and get back to peace. Men have this really weird thing where we're like, boom, amygdala is hijacked, and 20 minutes later, we're in the kitchen with you, and we're like, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> Every woman in the world is like, what are you thinking? I'm so mad at you right now. I'm just trying to take the cookies out of the oven. Just leave me alone. My amygdala is still hijacked. And the, the, chemi the brain chemistry of a man is just like, boom. Like it, we're mad and then we're like, boom. We're good. Isn't this true? Sometimes, men and women, you just need to separate yourself because that's the wise thing to do. Men, 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 give her some time, okay? Trolling her in the kitchen 20 minutes after you made her mad. You're keeping the chemicals high, man. Okay, no one's getting lucky tonight. You need to stop. We got to talk about these things. I'm serious. We got to talk about these things. If not, we walk around unhealthy and then we're like, church doesn't talk about this stuff. Where do I go? Google. Okay. When control and having it your way don't exist, you decide to leave. That's what I'm talking about. Are you separating yourself? Are you going off so that you can sit and have a pity party? Are you separating yourself because you're so mad you can't control the situation, so you're deciding you're just going to isolate? There's a, there's a massive difference there. Separation will say things like, I don't need you anyway. Or how about this? Nobody knows how I feel. Really? Out of like billions of people, you're, you're the special one. You're the master builder. You're the only one. Sorry, that was a Lego movie reference. I'm a parent. Every adult should see the movie, though. You're the only one. Like, I'm the only one. Nobody knows how I feel. I don't need you anyway. So we make decisions out of this place. Out of, like, out of the, I'm going to separate myself. I don't need you anyway. It's not a big deal. You don't need that person until you need that person. And then you realize how much you need that person, but yeah, you've screwed up your influence now because now you've told them, maybe not with words, but you've told them in action that you don't need them, and now they're offended. Now you're both offended. Now you're just triggering each other. And then it's like amygdala fight. Like, I'm fighting because I'm triggered. I'm, no, I'm triggered more. You triggered me first. You triggered me more. Well, I was more triggered before you even got triggered. Right? Isn't this how the arguments go? And then you stop at one point and you're like, what are we even arguing about? I don't even know anymore. Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Anger. Naaman was very quick to get angry. 
I got, I mean, he would just like zero to hot, boom. He felt entitled. He wanted to control the situation. He was frustrated. So he said, I'm going to go, I'm going to separate myself, went off in a rage. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now I'm going to read verse 21 in the King James Version because it gives us a little bit different picture. Verse 21 in the King James says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. It's very fascinating language, isn't it? Like, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. This word superfluity means unnecessary or excessively large amount or number of something. It's like the abundance of abundance. More than you ever would know what to do with. And, and naughtiness is all the bad stuff. I, I really, I could give you a bunch of technical stuff, but what it means is all the bad stuff. And the reason why I word it that way is this, that naughtiness isn't just like, oh, you're being naughty, you're on the naughty list this year, you were bad. That's not what, the, this means like all the bad stuff. This means the bad stuff that maybe you have committed. And this is all the stuff that's maybe been committed against you. It's all of it. And it says that we need to get rid of all of this stuff, that we need to actually depart from it. We need to depart from our own actions. We need to not get angry quickly. We need to not take, try to take control. We need to not you know, say, oh, I'm going to just live life on my own and separate. We need to not feel entitled. All of these things that are happening and frustration sets in, we need to separate ourselves from that, but we also need to separate. This is what this means. We also need to separate ourselves from all the times that somebody has done those things to you. Because if we don't, then we partner with those things. So the scripture saying, you need to separate yourself from these things. You need to move away from them. You need to depart from them. It's a lot like the scripture I talked about last week where there's, there's a river of offense that will always be flowing in our lives because it says in scripture, Luke 17, 1 says, the, the, the offensive nature of humanity will always be there. And I talked last week about getting from this side of that river, getting over it to the other side. So we hear people say, well, get over it. We're not being, we're not being brash. We're saying we need to actually pass over from this side to this side, from this side where we're stuck and we're offended and we're not going to grow to this side. We pass over this river and we get to this side where there's love and there's grace and there's mercy and we can grow and we can mature. The scripture is saying we need, we need to depart from those things. I think sometimes when we get angry quickly, if, if this is you, if you get angered quickly about things, what's happening is, is we haven't departed from these things that maybe those things are still sitting in our hearts just below the surface. And what happens, it only takes, it takes someone entering into your sphere of uh, realm of influence. They get near you. All they have to do is they just have to brush the dust, brush the dust on your heart. And, and their lies completely exposed as a wound that's been there for 20 years, 10 years, 10 months. 
and I'm offended. I'm going to walk in offense. This anger, what it's saying is that I have an expectation that I will always get the worst out of you. And this is how in culture, how we've gotten to a place where we pick every single word apart. You said this, what did you mean? And then we put labels on people based on these words. Person's like, that's not even, I mean, it is crazy. Because we're so quick to get angry because everyone's offended and everyone's triggered. And scripture is telling us that we need to be slow to that anger and we need to depart from it. We need, to, we, we need to separate ourselves from it. And as Christians, I'm telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, we don't have a right to be offended. Because it's, it's rooted in pride. And God opposes the proud. We don't have a right to be offended. And we can sit here and talk about the 27 reasons why I deserve and I can be offended. I will point you back to Scripture. If you're a follower of Jesus, I will point you back to Scripture. We're not saying these offenses aren't real. But I'm telling you, if you're quick to get angry just below the surface, there are some offenses that are, that are way, like Naaman. Naaman was a great warrior. You know why Naaman got angry so quickly, I think? Because he was used to a fight. He was bred on the battlefield. Can I tell you something? The moment you were born, you began the process of being bred on a battlefield called life. And life wants to teach you to walk with offense. The enemy wants you to stay offended. The enemy doesn't want you to have freedom. The enemy wants you to look at people and expose them for the worst that you believe in them. Because if he can get you and I embattled and broiled together, then we lose our ability to fulfill the very thing that we're called to. And God wants to do a new thing. You know, being offended is an old thing. Walking around offended and angry and frustrated is not a new thing. It's an old thing. Satan was the first one. He was offended. Worship me. No, bro. You got to go. He was offended. So being, this, it's not a new thing. God wants to do a new thing. Check this scripture out. Isaiah 43, 16. I'm going to end with this. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. This is speaking of the Lord. Who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. This is talking about the power of the God that we have chosen to say, like, I am going to come into a relationship with God and his son, Jesus. This is the power of who he is. It's beginning to tell me a story that when I need to fight a battle and I have something that I'm dealing with in my heart, and it's an offense and I'm offended, that it's actually the battle that belongs to God. And what happens when he steps onto the battlefield? He says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. Pastor, I just can't get over it. There's a river of offense that's flowing in our lives. I just can't get over it. But scripture says that Jesus Christ was able to pass over our offenses. And we need to be like him. 
doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Family, it does not mean these things are easy. But God did not design you and I to live in a landscape of offense. He didn't. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Please stand with me. This passage, what it tells me is that God is telling me and you that he's doing a new thing. Being offended is an old thing. He's doing a new thing. It's not when he does a new thing. It's not if he does a new thing. It's he is doing a new thing. It's happening. The very next part of this verse is don't you perceive it? Don't you see it? The problem is is that oftentimes I can't see the new thing that God is doing in my life because I'm too offended and blinded by it. Too often I'm too frustrated. I'm so isolated that I can't see anything but my offense. I I, I want to stand and preach that I deserve this. The world owes me. You owe me. And I'm missing what it is that God's doing. And God's doing a new thing. And offense is not that new thing. Taking up a new offense is not the new thing. Laying down our offenses is actually a new thing. That's a novel idea. Imagine what would happen in our lives. Imagine what would happen in our cities, in our state, in our country. Imagine what would happen if we could lay down our offenses and if if we had the humility involved to say, I am going to step over these things and I'm going to allow the new thing that God wants to do to come forth. For some of us, I know in my life, it says that I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. We cannot wait for this process to occur when we're standing in beautiful lush green pastures. It says that in the wilderness and the wasteland, he's making streams. You know what that means? Right now in the middle of the most difficult situation, right now in the middle of your really cruddy circumstances, right now in the middle of your deepest offense, right now in the middle of your your worst pain, right now in the middle of the most horrific season you've ever been, guess what God's doing? He's doing a new thing. Guess what he's doing? He's unhitching your heart from that trailer of offenses that you've been walking around with for 25 years. He's doing a new thing today. Can someone say amen? Let's pray. Lord, this morning, thank you that you're doing a new thing. Thank you that you aren't leaving us in our offended nature. Thank you that your conviction of your Holy Spirit is what draws us out of those places and into these new things. If this morning as I was talking, if something is striking you, if any of these things, you're like, man, I need unhinged from this stuff. Come forward, get prayer. Before you leave here, come forward and get prayer from our ministry team. We want to pray with you about this stuff. We're serious about it. By the way, just so you know, we personally, we're walking through all this stuff with you. I got stuff in my own heart that God's like, bro, you're offended. No, I'm not. That response tells me you're offended. So Lord, as we walk out of here today, here's the question. Is anything in the history of my life, like in Naaman's, 
the history of his life maybe from being bred on the battlefield has told him to, to act a certain way, to respond a certain way. Is anything in the history of my life causing me to partner with the fence? Are there symptoms that we talked about today that are alive and breathing in my life? If so, I might be partnering with an offense. God, show us what that offense is this morning. Let, let's, let's really dig deep in these things because God wants you to be free. Lord, we thank you. We're, you're not afraid of our offenses, God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' powerful, life-giving authority, we have authority in the name of Jesus. It's in his name that we can ask for these things. It's in his name that as a family we say yes and amen, amen.